Good morning. Yes, it's working. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning or if you forgot to come and get a copy of the sermon notes as you came in, please put your hand up and Doug will bring them to you. Just a little way of knowing where we're headed, what we're talking about. There's some questions on the back for home study or for small groups. Uh, a friend of mine, an elderly relative um, or in-law, I won't tell you who, uh, likes to repeat themselves, which is to say likes to tell the same story over and over and over again. And this used to annoy me quite a bit, uh, and I'd say to them, you've told me that before. And that always upset them because they'd forgotten that they'd told me that before. You've told me that before. Eventually, I annoyed this particular person enough that they said to me, it's very rude to tell someone that you've heard a story before. What you should say instead is, I remember you telling me that once again, once before. So instead of saying, you've told me that before, say, yeah, I remember you telling me that. And that takes, it, takes the edge off it. It makes, makes it a lot smoother. And so when this particular relative would tell me the same story again for the second time of the day, I'd say, yeah, I remember you telling me that. And for some reason, that made him much happier, um, and he was, he was able to not be so embarrassed that he was repeating himself. I remember you've told me that before. It's a good suggestion. I've used it a lot uh, as I visit people in nursing homes or around the place. If the story becomes repetitive, I just say, yeah, I remember you've told me that before. And that's just a, a gentle way of saying, yes, you've told me that. This story is very much one of these, seems to be part of this repetition that we found in Mark chapter 6, 7, and 8. The stories are repeated. And in fact, we have a repetition of the healing miracle for just this one man. But we'll come to that in just a moment. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark here from since the beginning of the year. Uh, next week, we'll end our this year's series in Mark before we head more into Christmas stuff. Uh, But we remember that Jesus has been proclaiming the kingdom of God, going around the place proclaiming the kingdom of God in word and in deed. In his teaching, in his preaching, and in his miracles, he has been proclaiming this message. Let's read it together. The time has come, he said. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Last week we spoke about uh, Jesus and his argument with the Pharisees and telling his disciples to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of legalism. And We talked about the fact that our faith must rest on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, not on who I am and what I have done, but on who Jesus is and what he has done. And we've been learning more and more from Mark's gospel, the who of who Jesus is by looking at the what, the what of what Jesus has been doing. And as Jesus heals and casts out demons in the first chapters of Mark, we've seen more and more of Jesus' identity. And next week we come to the great announcement, the great question. As Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? No spoilers, you'll have to wait till next week to find out. Or you can read ahead at home. But on the cusp of this great question and response, we have this strange little story about the blind man and about Jesus having two goes 
at healing him. It's there on the screen. We read it before in the kids' time. We'll just read it again quickly now. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Of the four Gospels, only Mark tells this story. The other Gospels skip over this episode. But here it sits, peculiar in its way, funny after its kind, but like a vital cog in a machine, I think we would miss it if it were not there. This story is an important part of the Gospel of Mark. Why is it here? Why does Mark tell this story? Over all the stories he could have told of the people who are healed that day, of all the things Jesus did that day, why does Mark, the writer, choose to emphasise this story? Well, there's probably a couple of reasons. One is that there's a link with the previous story. In the previous story, which we read last week, Jesus asked the disciples, do you have eyes and yet you can't see? And then we have this story of the blind man. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. And then there's the theme of repetition. We've had a fair bit of repetition in the story in these last few weeks. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like just to flick back to chapter 6. The end of chapter 6, we have Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then in chapter 7, he has a conflict with the religious leaders. And then he heals the deaf and the mute man. Here in chapter 8, we've got Jesus feeding the 4,000, followed by again with a conflict with the religious leaders, and now the healing of a blind man. It's much the same story over again. It's a story cycle, same sort of theme, that Jesus has a big public miracle, he has criticism from the religious leaders, and there's a specific healing miracle. There are some extra bits in chapter 7 that aren't repeated in chapter 8, like the Gentile woman with the faith of a small dog and Jesus walking on the water. But there is a general repetition. Jesus does a big public miracle, feeding masses of people. He gets criticized by the religious leaders. And then immediately after that criticism, he goes and does a specific healing just of one individual. And so there's a cycle here. Perhaps this story is just added to add that full stop to the cycle. There's also much in the specific healings, miracles, that are very similar. You remember from some weeks ago the story of the, story of the deaf and mute man. If you've got your Bibles, turn back to Mark chapter 7, the last bit of chapter 7, verse 31. And Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, 
the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I wonder if you can spot some similarities between that story that we read a few weeks ago and the story from this morning. Are there similarities there? Well, yes, there are. Both stories are given to us in specific locations, this one by that place and that one specifically in that place. In both stories, other people bring a friend with a problem to Jesus. The other people bring their friend to Jesus. In both stories, people beg Jesus to touch the person with the problem. They beg Jesus to help. They beg Jesus to place his hands on them. In both stories, Jesus takes the person away from the crowds. In both stories, Jesus uses spit. This is the only two places in the Gospel of Mark where we hear Jesus spitting. And both stories end with Jesus telling the healed person to keep the whole thing secret. In chapter 7, he tells the deaf and the mute man and his friends, don't tell anyone about this, and they go and spread it. In chapter 8, our story this morning, Jesus says to the man, don't even go back to the village. Just go home. Don't tell anyone. Don't go back to your village. There are, of course, some differences. But both healings serve as a full stop to this story cycle. A big public miracle. A religious leaders are annoyed and this individual, this specific one, is healed. So why? What else does this story tell us? Well, there are symbols here, some messianic symbols, the symbols of the Messiah. What else do the deaf and mute man in chapter 7 and this blind man have in common here in chapter 8? They're both the first of their kind to be mentioned being healed in Mark's gospel. A few weeks ago when I spoke about the deaf and the mute man, I misspoke. I said other blind people had been healed. In my study this week, I find out that no, in Mark's gospel, this is the first mention of a blind person being healed. This is the first time that it's mentioned specifically a blind person being healed. And that's significant. Because remember, Mark has been slowly revealing the secret about who Jesus is, building up to this revelation, building up to the revelation that he is, in fact, the Messiah, and more than that. And a key part of the revelation of what the Messiah is and what the Messiah will do is found in Isaiah, chapter 35, verses, well, the whole bit of chapter 35, but the middle bit to talk about this morning. In Isaiah chapter 35, the prophet, writing 800 years before Jesus, says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Verse 5 says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongues shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And the Isaiah goes on to talk about take off the clothes of sadness and put on the happiness, the clothes of joy and dance because the Messiah has come. Here in Isaiah 35, there are four illnesses listed that God will heal as a sign that the Messiah has come. Blindness, deafness, 
lameness and muteness. We've seen in Mark's gospel the lame get up and walk. And in chapter 7, we saw the mute and the deaf healed. And here, in chapter 8, right before the question, who do you say I am, we have the first mention of Jesus healing a blind person. Tick, 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 tick. All four of these messianic promises of what the Messiah will do when he comes have been fulfilled in Mark's gospel. And next week, Peter will say to Jesus, you're the Messiah. It's not a coincidence. Jesus is demonstrating his messianic credentials. He's fulfilling prophecy. And Mark is recording it in a way that makes us look and think and hopefully understand. Again, just like in chapter 7, Jesus tells this man to keep the miracle to himself, not to spread it abroad. He's not yet ready for everyone to know his identity. He's not ready for his, his messianic, for his title to be fully manifest. He has a plan. He's putting it into action, a gradual revelation as he stewards the messianic secret. At just the right time and in just the right way, Jesus will reveal who he is to the world and then they'll kill him at just the right time and in just the right way. What else can we learn from this event, from this story? Why did it take two goes to heal this chap? And what does it mean that it took two goes? The simple answer is we don't know. The scriptures don't tell us why things happened this way. So any answer we might give is just pure speculation. So let's speculate. Let's talk about it. What are the possible meanings? Well, it could just be something really practical. It might just be the case that this man had two problems and didn't know it, two different kinds of blindness. The man in the parallel passage was deaf and mute, and Jesus knew that when he was dealing with him, so he was able to help him. But this man comes and says, I'm blind, and Jesus goes, okay. And then it turns out the man is also short-sighted. So Jesus goes, okay, I'm pretty sure that would happen. Jesus deals with one of the problems and then with the other. Does it give us some deeper insight into the nature of the incarnation? Maybe. I'd be very happy to discuss that with you if you'd like to. But maybe Jesus only responds to what people come to him and say they need help with at the time. Come and says, I'm blind. Fixed. Oh, I'm also short-sighted. Fixed. Maybe it's that simple. His question of, do you see anything? He asked the man, do you see anything? Both a question of genuine curiosity and of a diagnostic quality. If you go and see the doctor, the doctor will ask you a whole bunch of questions to work out what's wrong with you so the doctor can fix you. I think a similar thing happens when you meet Jesus in a miracle, in healing. We often read of Jesus saying to people, what do you want me to do for you? And then Jesus, based on that information, responds. Maybe it's just something as practical as that. Maybe it's a spiritual answer. Maybe Jesus did the healing in this way to make a spiritual point to his disciples and to us. 
Remember, we've been through this cycle of events before. There's a big miracle. There's an opposition from the religious leaders. There's a specific miracle. Maybe with this double healing, Jesus is pointing to the fact that this is the second time through this set of events. And it's time for the disciples to open up their eyes and see clearly what's really going on. Maybe. Maybe it's a theological thing. Perhaps Jesus is pointing to the deeper gospel truth, pointing out that everyone, sometimes everyone, needs a second touch from the Lord. That oftentimes our first encounter with Jesus leaves us better off, but not 100% there yet. A further experience is required. Another encounter we can have with Jesus that will make all the difference. Pastor Don spoke about this two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, that there is a blessing of holiness and a pure heart that often takes place after conversion. Baptism's wonderful, but if we stop at baptism and don't go deeper into the things of Jesus, we're missing out. Conversion is a wonderful thing to say to Jesus, come and take, be my saviour. But oftentimes it takes a while for us to say, actually, Jesus, come and be my Lord. I want to live your way. I want the pure heart. I want the filling of the Holy Spirit. I want the blessing of holiness and love. Maybe Jesus, by healing this man twice, is pointing towards that reality. Maybe it's just a message of encouragement. Perhaps this is a message of encouragement for you and for I, and for Jesus' disciples all over the world to keep on praying keep on reaching, to keep on growing, to keep on practicing. If it took Jesus two goes to completely heal this blind man, then you and I should get at least seven goes or maybe ten goes or maybe 50 goes when we try to pray for people. Sometimes we pray for people to get better and they don't. So we say, well, that's a sign from God that it must not be God's will to heal that person, so I'm just going to stop praying. But this passage ought to be a reminder to us, an encouragement to us, not to give up so easily. Much of Jesus' teaching on prayer emphasised the importance of persistence. Ask, seek, knock. He talked about the widow and the corrupt judge, about persisting and asking and seeking after God. And yet we are very quick to quit, to give up, easily discouraged. There are things going on in our world, in the universe, and all around us that we don't fully understand. We cannot understand why when we pray for one person they get healed and pray for the next and they don't. That's beyond our understanding. But this story should encourage us not to give up. But we should continue to pray. We should continue to seek God. If Jesus got two swings at this particular problem, then you and I should get dozens of swings. Christian, are you nearby? Christian came to me this week with a, a, a testimony, a message. Come up the front, mate. And you want to, I just want him to share a little bit of that this morning, of what happened to him. Come up, mate, quick. You're going even slower once I said quick. Christian came to me at a youth group um, the other night, and just on Friday, and told me a story, an interaction he'd had. Just grab the microphone there, mate. Just tell us your story. Tell it like you told it to me. Hold your mic up. Um, so I was online um, evangelizing, uh, trying to 
you know, spread the word of Jesus. Um, there's this one kid, uh, he was about like, I think like 11. Uh, I asked him if he's a follower of Jesus. Um, he said yes, but he, he was deaf, so I had to type. Um, a few minutes on, I, uh, I asked if I could pray for him. And when I prayed for him, I started, I, spe- I started begging the Lord to, you know, please open up his earring and that. I started just praying and praying and praying. Um, after that, um, a couple minutes later, I said, hey, man, I just started, I finished praying for you. And um, then his ears started to clog up and he just started crying. And then he started running around and just started thanking Jesus that, you know, he could hear again. And it was just so good. Yeah. Yep. So you, you, you're praying with him, you're typing with him, and then he, he said to you, I can hear. Is that what he, he said? Yeah. 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 So then you were able to talk for a little bit before he went off? Yeah. Oh, he said, well, he said he had to go. Yeah. Go and tell people. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. That's a great story. Oh, I should ask you, Christian, had that boy been prayed for before, do you think, to have his hearing, hearing fixed? You don't know. You don't know. We don't know. We don't know how, how many times people prayed for that boy, whether his mum and dad prayed for him every day, whether people laid hands on him. or We don't know. The Christian has that encouraging story of praying for that boy and having him say, I can hear. I can hear. Maybe it was just that hundredth prayer, thousandth prayer, that very last time of someone reaching out in faith and saying, Jesus, please heal this boy. It's an amazing story. Thank you, Christian. Encourage it to all of us. If you see someone who's unwell, pray for them. Offer to pray for them. They may not get healed. In fact, probably 90% of the time they won't. But if you knew that one time in every 100 you prayed for someone, you'd see a miracle, would that discourage you or encourage you? I hope it would encourage you. You're going to see 99 failures before you see one success. I hope that's an encouragement to pray. Jesus took two swings at this particular man. You and I probably need dozens of swings. And they still may not be healed. But we should keep on trying. And finally this morning, if Jesus asks you if you can see and you can't, don't lie. Imagine if Jesus had laid hands on this man the first time and said to him, can you see anything? And the man goes, oh, yes, I can see quite well. Jesus probably would have said, good on you, mate, and walked off. And this man spends the rest of his life seeing people that look like trees. If Jesus asks you a question, answer him honestly. He knows the truth anyway. He knows what's going on in your heart. But if Jesus says to you, ask you a question, whatever the question would be, tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. There's no point lying to Jesus. Are there any questions this morning before we conclude? Are there any questions this morning? Yes, Dudley. Mm, yes. This is not a question, Dudley. That's a good observation. We really should pass the microphone around. So Dudley said that he believes that this is a, a, an example of the kingdom coming and showing what the kingdom will ultimately be like. 
So the kingdom of God hadn't come completely and fully in that place, but it's an example of what Jesus is like. I would say that wherever Jesus is, that's where the kingdom of God is. And wherever you and I are, if we've got Jesus in our heart, the kingdom of God is there as well. Thank you. Maureen? Oh, it's only questions, Maureen. Testimony. Well, we should bring you the microphone. Talia's got the microphone. Thank you, Talia, my beautiful assistant. I just want to share and affirm the power of prayer this week because um, don't think you're ever too old to pray for someone. I was talking to a man who's nearly about to celebrate his 100th birthday and I shared about someone's real prayer need, not expecting him to pray but just to tell him, saying we've got so much to be thankful for. And that man prayed at 100, the most powerful prayer for this young man. Mm. And I just can tell you now, just don't think we're ever too old to stop praying for someone because when someone who's nearly 100 wants to really pray and believe, I believe that something's happened in the spirit world. Yeah, that's great. Any other questions? Oh, just on that, that brings. there was a great movie about the life of the uh, Presbyterian minister whose name escapes me. Uh, he's famous in America, Mr. Somebody. <sighs> Whatever. Where's a red cardigan? Tom Hanks was in the movie. Someone will tell me the name of the movie any second now. It doesn't matter. Anyway, this guy's a Presbyterian minister. He's a famous children's presenter, famous all across America. He goes to this house of a man who's dying, basically spends minutes with him, and as he, whatever, spends a few minutes with him and on the way out whispers something to the man who's dying and leaves. And the man's son says to the man who's dying in the bed, what did he say to you? He said, he asked me, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers asked me to pray for him. And he says, but you're not, you don't believe in God. And he goes, no, but Mr. Rogers said that someone who's nearly dead is closer to God than he is. So now's the time to pray. I think that's true. No matter how long, far along the journey we are, we can all speak to the Lord. It's a powerful minute in the movie. Any other questions this morning? Yes, Victoria. Hang on, we'll bring the microphone to you. This will be the last question. What is the significance of the spittle? Good question. And the Bible doesn't tell us, and so we don't know. But uh, I think it's... There's probably a couple of things there. Uh, that spit was used in those days to clean wounds and those sorts of things as a healing thing, as the immediate thing. It's often in uh, first reaction as a parent when your child skins their knee, you spit on your finger and you rub it to get the wound clean, you get some good, good stuff in there. I think it's something to do with that. But beyond that, I don't know. But this, as I say, this is the only two places in Mark's gospel where Jesus is described as spitting or using spit. Uh, the only other place in Mark's Gospel where spit is mentioned is where people are spitting on Jesus as he's on his way to the cross. So, good questions. Thank you. Well, to conclude this morning, I want to point you back to our faith fingers. So we talk about this most weeks, that there are different ways to grow in our faith, to grow closer to Jesus. They, don't, they aren't our faith, but they're a way of keeping our faith safe and strong and growing in our faith. They're talking about the importance of private time, spending time alone with God, just you and him, opening the scriptures, reading with him, praying to him, speaking to him. so vital to grow our faith. 
The importance of having that trusted friend, someone who will ask you the tough questions, someone who knows you intimately, someone who can be mean to you in the best possible way, someone who can be Jesus to you and you can be Jesus to them. The importance of a small group getting together to study the word and encourage each other and help each other. The importance of mission, of pointing other people towards Jesus. The importance of church coming together to worship, practice the sacraments and care for one another and love one another. These are five simple ways, and there are lots of different ways of doing each one of them, Uh, but they hold our faith safely in our hand. And if you're only doing one or two of them, your faith may slip out when the devil bumps your arm. But if you're holding on and doing all five, your faith is secure and you will grow. This morning from this passage, I think the one to talk about is the importance of group. We notice there in this story and the story from chapter 7 that it's the friends of this man who bring him to Jesus. It's the friends who demonstrate their faith. They bring their friend to Jesus and they beg Jesus to help him, to fix him, to pray for him. Just as we prayed this morning, the children prayed for their friend Riker with his broken leg, we should pray for one another. We should bring our requests before the Lord. And so this morning I would say to you, are you part of a small group? Do you have a group of folk who get around you every so often, who read the scripture together, who pray together, who care for each other? It doesn't have to be a formal thing, meeting once a week at a certain time. That's great. That's wonderful. could be once a month. could be a group of ladies getting together to have a cup of tea or a group of blokes out playing golf. For goodness sake, don't invite me to play golf. But if that's your thing, go and play golf. Have those questions. Talk about Jesus, care for one another, love one another. Bring each other to God. Represent Jesus to one another. The importance of being a part of that small group. I want to encourage you this week. We have some small groups in our church. If you're not part of a group, come and speak to us. We'll connect you with one of those. We want Jesus to open our eyes. This morning I wonder if he's asking you, Do you see anything? Do you see anything at all? Perhaps you want to see more of Jesus. Perhaps you want to know more of his work. Perhaps you have a need that you need someone to pray for you or to to ask. I encourage you after the meeting this morning to come and speak to me. I'm happy to pray for you for anything. You know what? If it doesn't work this week, I'm happy to pray for you again next week and the week after that and the week after that because I believe in taking a thousand swings at any particular problem. So the question this morning is, from Jesus saying to you, do you see? Do you see me? So we respond, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Father God, I thank you this morning for your word and what your word says to us. We thank you this morning for Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. Father God, I thank you for that man who was brought to Jesus all those years ago. The first thing he saw clearly was the face of the Messiah. Father God, open our eyes so we can see Jesus. Open our ears so we can hear his voice. Help us to be people who live and love and follow him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite the worship group to come and we'll conclude this morning. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind. But now I see. Once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see.
This morning, if you have questions or you'd like to speak to me about what it means to follow Jesus, if you'd like to be baptized, come and speak to me. If you have a need this morning, you need someone to pray for you, come and ask me. I'm happy to pray for you. Go and find Christian. Get him to pray for you. Let's encourage that young man with the gifts that the Lord is giving him. Let's encourage one another. Let's stand together and sing amazing grace. It's the grace of God that saves us. It's the amazing grace of Jesus that delivers us.